Hello and welcome to the Thrive Online Podcast. This is our sermon series podcast and I wanted to thank you for joining us today. As we get going, I wanted to say that whether you are tuning in today from the car, the gym, or even your work or home, we pray that today's message inspires you and that it gives you hope and builds your faith. So let's lean in, turn up the volume, and get excited as we get ready to learn today. We're all on a journey, and when we're on a journey, sometimes we make wrong choices. We, we make wrong decisions. We don't always go in the direction we want to, and we don't always look like Jesus when we do it. And so I just want to say right from the start, our goal is this. Our goal isn't to just kind of deal with it and say, well, we're always going to make mistakes. But our goal is this, that, that we would grow in maturity, that we would see those mistakes, those wrong turns happen less and less. And, and here's how we know if we're growing in maturity. The distance between when we mess up and we make the correction. When we, when we mess up, when we sin, when we say something we shouldn't, when we do something we know was maybe hurtful to someone else, the moment, the, the, the time that it takes for us to recognize that and then to like confess and or to turn around is kind of a sign of how much we're maturing. Like some of us can be really stubborn when we make mistakes, right? Like we make a mistake and we're like, I'm just gonna keep on going and I'll find a different way back to where I need to go, right? You're driving on the road, you miss the exit, like you can either get off at the next exit and turn around or you can like try to figure out your way a different direction. Maturity would say, hey, turn around quick. Don't get further down the road and off track. And so our hope is this, that each and every one of us is growing in maturity. And as you're visiting us here today and as you would observe and engage, that you would begin to kind of see this Thrive, this group of people as family and that Thrive would begin to feel like home for you. Now, today we continue our series called Kingdom Parables. In the last two weeks, we really focused on chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there to chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke. There are three parables that really kind of all say the same thing. They kind of all lean in on the same idea. These, these parables that we're talking about, remember, are these simple, uh, simple principles, simple moral teachings or spiritual lessons that are kind of, they use everyday life to kind of teach these spiritual principles. And Jesus used parables to, to teach his kingdom principles to the Pharisees who were listening and to the people who were following him. And then oftentimes what he would do is he would say these parables and then he would go off to the side and he would explain them to his disciples so that when they eventually were gonna go out and start telling people about the gospel and telling people about the kingdom of God, they would understand these parables. They could use those very same parables to help other people down the road in the future. And so these kingdom parables were essential to Jesus's achieving his mission here on earth. And we know his mission on earth was very simple, at least in Luke's gospel, he says in, in chapter 19, verse 10, he says, the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Very simple, very straightforward. That is why Jesus came. So those who are lost included all of us here. And he came to save you. In, in, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says that we all like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own ways. Paul said it like this. He says we're, we, like, that we've all have sinned and fallen short of God's plan, God's glorious riches, God's glory, right? We've missed the mark. We haven't hit the bullseye. We've missed the target. So we are all the people that Jesus came to seek and to save. So Jesus's mission was to do that to save all from an eternity 
without him. And this morning, we're going to read through a passage that might be very similar and familiar to those who maybe have journeyed with Jesus for a while. And this might actually be familiar to some of you who are maybe brand new to the Christian faith, but maybe you've heard it, uh, you've heard it spoken of. We're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of follow through with this story, this, this kind of triplet of stories, and look at how this parable might be uh, similar to the ones that we read the last couple of weeks. And my prayer is this, that, that even though some of us might have know this story very well, we might know this parable very well, that each of us would learn something new and something that would help transform us today. So will you join me as I pray over our time together and the reading of God's word? Holy Spirit, we are in need of your wisdom and counsel to fill us when we read these words that are inspired by you, may we get a sense of the truth that is held in them. May we rightly understand the lesson that you're trying to teach us, the spiritual uh, knowledge and understanding that we want to gain. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to take the next right step for our lives in response to what we hear today. But to do that, we might need you to open our eyes so we can see a little more clearly, to unblock our ears so we can hear your voice better, to soften our hearts so that we understand that maybe there's some areas we need to change and grow in. And, and most of all, give us the courage we need. Stir up the courage we need to obey whatever it is you ask of us today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, friends, losing a child is a scary thing. Like, we were at a, uh, we were at a very uh, popular populated park one time and we lost one of our kids. Anybody ever have that happen before? You've lost or you've been lost before? Losing a child in a place like that is a scary, scary thing. It's one of the worst feelings any parent could ever feel. And so a few years ago, our family went on a trip and we were at this kind of this park. It was very populated. And, and what happened was kind of out of a, a, a TV uh, storyline, right? Like it could have been on TV. So basically we're kind of all doing our thing. We're walking through this busy park. I mean, just picture people all around us. We're all kind of like bumping shoulders and things like that. Very busy. And we decide it's a hot day. We've kind of been at the park for a little while and we decide, hey, let's stop and get a snack. Let's get a little treat. Let's get some ice cream. And so we get some ice cream. We kind of walk out of where the flow of the crowd was. And so we're, we're kind of over against this little fence area and there's kind of an intersection. There's going to be a little trail that goes that way to some things. And then there's another trail that goes this way. And so we're trying to decide what we're going to do next. And so we're kind of all huddled here and we're eating our ice cream, you know, we're kind of enjoying it. And we finally are like, all right, well, let's go to this ride over here. And so we just kind of start going, assuming that everybody was kind of part of the conversation. We're all going to go. And so we start walking. And uh, what had happened was this. We started walking and we walked about 20 yards to where we were going to go. And one of our sons got distracted. Like he, he was just so overwhelmed with all of the things and he was just looking at all the stuff and he's looking around and he had turned his back to us and was watching what was happening kind of behind where we were. And there's like this little like, like pond, boat, river area. There's some stuff happening down there. And so he's kind of watching and seeing there's animals and he's looking at the animals and we walked off and we get to our destination. And so we're walking down, we get to our destination. We're like, all right, everybody, who's, who's riding with who? Who's gonna, where is... We're missing one. We're missing one. Where did he go? <laughs> right? And uh, that feeling. If you've ever experienced that, that feeling, it's like, you, it's like you want to throw up, but then you don't want to waste the time because you want to go find your kid. 
And, and so Megan and I split up, and, and those who were with us, we split up, and like some of us went one direction, some of us went another direction. I went like half the way over this one bridge, like, and was shouting and yelling, yelling for his name, and then came back, and we're like, did you find him? No, I didn't see him. Okay. So then I started going back. I was like, how do I find lost things in my house, right? Like, how do I find, I go back to the last place. I remember we all were together. And so I kind of headed went back there and he wasn't there. And so I'm like, oh man. And one of the things we've done as a family is we've, we've done this thing where instead of like our kids having to hear us call their name, we have this little noise we make when we're trying to find them places when we can't see them. We just go, yep. Megan knows. She's in a store somewhere. I'll do it to her. I'll be like, and she just, and we kind of like, and, and so we find each other. And so I'm, I'm over there. I'm like, I'm like, people are talking and that sound stands out. Cause if I'm just talking and yelling, it might be drowned out. And so I'm, I'm doing that. And I had someone in a, in a line do it back to me. Cause at that time it was like a popular thing for people to do online. And so I was like, I'm not doing it for that. And the guy's like, Whoa, okay, right. I'm trying to find my kid. Oh, oh, you know, he got freaked out. And I turn around and all of a sudden I see him running toward me and there's this guy in a red vest kind of behind him and this guy in the red vest is kind of the security at that place. He's, he's a person that's there to kind of help everyone, all the guests, make sure they're happy. And, and we had taught our kids that if you ever get separated from us here in this park to go find one of those people in a red vest. And, and so that's what he did. He immediately like turned, he found somebody in a red vest right away, went right up to him and said, I can't find my family. He said, why don't you come with me? Let's go, let's go over here. And he tried to give him popcorn. And he's like, I don't want the popcorn. I just want my parents. But there was that moment, right? He was separated from us. And he realized it. There was a point where he was like, I don't know where I am. And there was a point for us. And we were kind of like, oh man, I hope, like we were doing everything we could to find him and be reunited with him. Of course, we, we, you know, we find him, I pick him up and I hold him and he just immediately starts to cry. He was very brave up until that point. And even then, he was still being brave, just the emotion, right? And so we get to the place where we kind of take a few moments, take a breath and we're like, all right, do we still wanna do this ride? And he's like, yeah, I wanna do the ride. He, of course, was like, don't tell anyone that I got lost, right? And then we met up with some family and immediately he's like, you'll never guess what happened. You're like, I thought you said, I mean, we were gonna have each other's backs here, you know? But here's one thing that didn't happen. We all get together and uh, our son's brother wasn't upset that we found him. His brother was elated. His brother was excited. His brother was like, I was so worried about you. He's like grabbed him. He hugged him. He's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Don't ever do that again. He's like, I didn't do it. You did it. You left me, you know? And but what we see in this passage in Luke 15 is not that response, and it's kind of confusing. What we see in this passage, and like I said, many of you might be familiar with it, is we see that, that this brother doesn't celebrate his brother's return. In Luke 15, starting in verse 11 and going through 32, this third parable Jesus tells to answer the Pharisees' question as to why he spends time eating and associating with these tax collectors and these notorious sinners, he replies to them. And so what we're gonna do today, because this is such a long parable, and I think the scripture does a better job of kind of laying it out, is we're just gonna walk through the verses together. And I'll make a few comments here and there as we go. I don't have a lot of points necessarily to make because I think the scripture makes the point for us. So if you would join me starting in verse 11, I'm going to read this. You can follow on the screen above or in your Bibles. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. 
a man has two sons. So immediately we know there's a father and there's two sons, right? Those are the two kind of characters. And as we continue to read on, we'll understand what each one of those represents. What I want to quickly point out here is, is as we look at those three parables, the first parable we looked at was the lost sheep. It was one out of 100. And then the next story was the lost coin. It was one out of 10. And now this story uh, is one out of two, right? One out of two is missing. And what, what Luke is doing here and what he's illustrating here in Jesus's kind of teaching of this is that Jesus is raising the stakes of the importance of his message to the Pharisees and the teachers, right? Like, like when it's one out of 100, you might be going like, oh, I mean, he's still got 99. But it's one out of 10, you're like, oh, I mean, he's still got, I mean, he's still got 90%. But when it's one out of two, man, that, that like raises the stakes. And so in verse 12, it says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now we need to understand inheritance weren't usually given uh, until the father died, right? It says before he died. And so um, the father isn't Making, isn't taking money out of savings as we might think. When we think of like giving an inheritance, we have like uh, maybe there's a stack of like savings or money or investments that have been set aside that's above and beyond. No, this father doesn't have like a stash of stuff saved in the bank. No, his, his wealth is all tied up in the land and the animals and the, the things that he has. And so when he chooses to, to break apart his his son's inheritance, what he's actually saying is, I will live on less so that you can have all that you want. That's an important thing for us to understand about this father is he's not just taking out of the surplus, he's actually breaking apart what was to provide for him and his other son and the rest of the people that were working there on their land. The younger son is likely receiving about a third of the father's total uh, assets, The older son would have received two-thirds, the younger son a little bit less, one-third. And this would have been a very shameful thing to have happen in the community for father to divide his assets, to kind of split everything up, give his son an inheritance. His son is basically saying, I want what I would have as if you were already dead. That would be a very shameful thing. But notice, the father does not stop his son. He allows him to go and pursue his desires. I wonder if there's a lesson for us in there in this idea of free will that God allows us to make decisions for ourselves. Continuing in verse 13, it says, a few days later, this young son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he he wasted all his money in wild living. Now notice how quickly the story moves along here. In the first part of the sentence, it says the, the son moved to a foreign land. And then the second part of that very same sentence, it says he spent everything. Like, we don't know how much time is between there, but like, just in that, it's like, he went, he did his thing, he lost it all. We're moving quickly through this story. He's already wasted his money. Now, we, we don't know what he spent his money on exactly. You know, it's funny about my recollection of this story as a kid. Oftentimes in the Sunday schools that I grew up in, when we would get to this story, uh, there was often, often a lot of emphasis on the potential sinful things that this young man did. But when you read this, there's, there's no details, really. The only details we get are at the end, and it's from the brother who wasn't even there, right? We don't know what he spent all of his money on. It just says on wild living. Wild living. 
And so often when I was growing up, we focused on the specifics of what sins those could possibly be. But notice here, Jesus doesn't focus on the sins of this son. He doesn't harp on the, the specific details of what the son had done. We have no idea what in real time those sins could have been. And Jesus is not focused on the sin of this younger son in this story. The sin of the younger son is not the point of this particular kingdom parable. So we need to keep reading. What is the point? Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, so first he loses all his money, a great famine uh, swept over the land. And he began to starve. Any of you guys ever have a time in your life when one thing goes wrong and then it feels like another thing goes wrong and then another thing goes wrong and maybe it's two or three or four things stacked and they might not even be big things. It's just, it's not good on top of the other things that have gone wrong. Anybody else ever have that happen to them? It's kind of, people call it the rule of threes, right? I don't know if that's really a thing, but here in this particular kind of layout of the story, it's this happened, this happened, this happened, all in succession, That's a lot to deal with for a person, isn't it? That's a lot of losses to deal with. But notice what happens next. This guy hasn't given up. This young son, he hasn't given up yet. He tries to rally. He tries to work really hard. He tries to get back up on his feet in his own strength. Look at what verse 15 says. It says, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, even though he probably had not a lot of experience, maybe. His brother would have been the one running their property, running their farm, because he was going to get the lion's share of all of it. And so the younger son maybe didn't have as much understanding or experience, or maybe he was a little too, you know, worn and beaten down. And the, the, the farmer was probably like, I don't know if I could use you or not. And so he has to persuade the farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. It's important for us to understand that this represents the world in Jesus' story, the world that's out there, right? There's gonna be a lot of opportunities for us to try to like do a lot of different things. We're gonna have to persuade the world sometimes to you know, kind of accept us for being kind of in and part of their world, but they're not gonna wanna feed us. They're not gonna give anything to us. No one's gonna wanna help us. As followers of Jesus, as people who maybe wandered from Jesus, as people who are living out in the world, trying to make it on our own, trying to do our own thing, The world's not gonna help us. The world's not gonna be the one that's gonna come alongside us the way that God can. Now I say all of that with an understanding that that's not always how it turns out in real life. Why is it that oftentimes communities are frustrated with the church? Because the church says we'll be the ones to help. The church says we'll be the ones to be there for you when you're down. And yet so often the church isn't the one. The world actually does do a better job sometimes. My hope is this, that Thrive, that we would be a church that truly does help others, that truly does come alongside those who are searching and who are lost and does help them. This young man has reached his literal, physical, and emotional rock bottom. And many of us here in this story might know someone that's like that. They wandered, they got distracted, they got lost, they got enticed, and they've hit rock bottom. Maybe some of you lived that story. Maybe some of you are living that story right now. Rock bottom, nowhere else to go. But let's see what happens in verse 17. 
Jesus continues his parable. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I love that phrase, when he finally came to his senses. In other words, when he finally admits what he already knew. When he admits what he already knew, he realizes that the world has nothing to offer him, that being a servant in his father's house is better than trying to make it on his own. And he knows that because he knows how his father treated the servants of their home. And he comes to his sense, he's like, man, this is, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? I could go live and be a servant in my father's house and have a better life than I'm having right now, trying to do it my own way. And so then in verse 18, I love it, it's so relatable. He says, I will go home. I kind of picture him like looking in the mirror, like, in a bathroom somewhere, a dirty bathroom, just like, all right, I'm going to go home. And this is what I'm going to say. Everybody ever have to pump yourself up before you have a hard conversation with somebody? That's kind of what I, this is why it's so relatable. He's like, all right, I'm going to go home. And this is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against both you and have heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's got it all planned out. He knows exactly what he's going to tell the father. He's going to honor the father and say, man, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And I just, I don't even want to be invited back as family. I'll just be one of your servants because I know you're, you, get, you treat your servants well, and I'd be happy just being a servant. And so he's got it all figured out. He's got, okay, he's reciting it to himself as he's walking home and he's just dragging his feet. And he's like, oh man, I don't know. I wonder how many times he, just, he was like fighting whether or not he really was going to go. But what we find is this, is that he kind of, he makes his way home. And we've all kind of been there, right? We, we've messed up and we, we know that humbling ourselves is hard. But look at how the father responds in verse 20. As this young man makes his way home, as this young man begins to kind of head toward the father, it says, so he returned to the home of his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. The assumption we often make is that the father was kind of sitting on his porch, like waiting for his son to come home, right? And I think it was more of this. I think the father was kind of just looking over his land, kind of looking at what God has blessed him with, kind of looking around, and, and he sees a, a figure in the distance, and he recognizes them. He has, a, he has a choice to make. I'm going to wait for him to come to me, or am I going to go to him? This is what motivates him. It says, filled with love. Everybody say, filled with love. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Doesn't scripture say, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you? The son made a decision to come to the father, and the father made a decision to come close to him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And he goes to say the next thing, and the father interrupts him, doesn't let him finish, doesn't even let him get to that point of saying, I'll be a servant in your home. He doesn't even let him get there. He cuts him off because he has such a desire to celebrate his son's return. And so in verse 22, it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. I love this because it, it, it basically, it's kind of this idea that, that the father, maybe the family, everybody believed because maybe they hadn't heard from him in a while that he was actually dead. 
Or maybe in that culture, there's some, there's some questions, some arguments, some statements, some thoughts that are out there that maybe the family had kind of had this sort of like spiritual burial for the son who had rejected the family and embarrassed them so much. But, but I don't think that's what we see here. I think this is literally a father saying he was, he was dead to me. Like I, I didn't know where he was. I didn't know if he'd ever return or if he'd ever come back. And here he is, he is alive. He was lost to us. We had no idea where he went and now he's found. The love of a father. And I love that it, the last part of this says, so let the party begin. Now, this is where the other two stories ended, right? Like if we remember, uh, there was an item that was lost. A person searched to find it. They gathered all the people together to celebrate when it was found. Now, that's exactly what we see here, right? So that's where the parable should end. That's the happy story, right? But Jesus goes a step further because this whole thing, all three of these parables, is not about what was lost and what was found. It was about the heart of the Pharisees and whether or not they would be the kind of people that would celebrate or not. And so Jesus keeps going and he, he gets really honest. And the real point of this, grand, the real point of this, whole, uh, this whole parable is this. The grand conclusion of all three of these parables is really important for us. We have to remember that the father in this story is representative of God the Father, and the younger son is, is representative of these notorious sinners. And the older son is representative of these Pharisees and teachers of the law. And so here in verse 25, Jesus draws attention to the older son. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, everybody say angry, and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. Never once refused a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. I want to point something out here. This older son doesn't go into the house. You see, you, in some Bibles, it says the, the parable of the lost son. But I would be uh, tempted to put a little parentheses and say the lost son, parentheses, S. Because what we find here is that this older son is lost himself as well. You see, he's lost the heart of the father. His heart is lost. He's lived with the father, right? He's lived with the father, but he does not have the heart of the father. And so what does the father do? The father goes to find his son. You see, there's kind of this whole story. We always think about this lost son that wanders off, but that's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's trying to point out to the Pharisees, you yourselves are lost. You don't have my heart for the lost. And so the father, what he does is he goes to find his older son and he begs him to come in. And I love that the son says, I've obeyed every command you've ever given, but the father has to beg him to come in. He is disobeying the father even now, and yet he's trying to 
make himself look like he's never disobeyed a single command of the Father. We spend a lot of time on the choices of this younger brother, but it was all a setup for this. The real point of this kingdom parable is this, the sin of the older brother. That's the point of this whole parable. It's the sin of the older brother. Thrive, do you, do you kind of see how on the nose this parable actually is right now in this moment as Jesus is speaking to these people he's having a party with, the notorious sinners and these Pharisees and teachers of the law who've come and watched and are kind of observing maybe from the doorframe, like what is going on? We, we don't want to go in with those people and defile ourselves too. So we're going to stand out at the doorway, cross our arms and be like, why are you doing that? Why, why, why? I don't... This is such an on-the-nose parable for this moment. The Pharisees see themselves as out doing the hard work for God every day. I'm out there doing the hard work for you, God. I'm out there doing the hard work for your kingdom. I'm out doing the hard work for you. I'm slaving away for you. Every decision I make is for you, obeying everything you've ever commanded. Right? That's what the Pharisees believe of themselves. Meanwhile, these sinners are literally sitting and eating with God. They're doing all the stuff for God, but these, these sinners are actually sitting and having conversation and having life transformation because they are sitting with God. They're sitting with Jesus, the Messiah. They're learning from him. They're, they're discovering all the things that he came to do and all the things he came to teach them. He's bringing healing to their lives physically, emotionally, spiritually. Their lives are being changed and transformed. They are sitting with God. And notice what happens in verse, in verse 30. What does it say there? It says, yet when his son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. He gets so mad. He's pointing out the sins of the younger brother, and yet he's completely ignoring his own sin completely ignoring what he, they, he himself has done. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law did the same thing. And if you've ever wondered in your spiritual life, if you've ever questioned or wondered, do I have a, a heart of a Pharisee? Am I like one of those that doesn't celebrate when the lost are found? Here's a great question you can ask yourself. You can just say this, am I focusing on other sins and overlooking my own? Am I focusing my life and my attention on other people's sins, but overlooking my own? Because if, if that's an honest answer, you could say, man, actually, I think I do. I spend so much time thinking about how other people have done wrong, how other people have sinned, how other people, other people, other people, other people, those sinners, those sinners, those sinners. I don't even take time to look at my own heart. If that's where you're caught up, you may be, living with a heart that is like a Pharisee, a person who's so about the rules and the regulations and following these certain things that you forget that, that God is a God of grace. And yes, there are, there, are, there are standards that he wants us to live by, but we can't be pointing fingers at others. We have to look at our own hearts. This is the one point Jesus is making to the Pharisees and to the teachers. You were so caught up for focusing on other sins, you overlook your own. Jesus then, then ends this kingdom parable like this. The father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. He recognizes, he acknowledges, he sees that son. He says, I see that you've always stayed close. I see that you've always tried to be close to me. 
And so then what does he do? He reminds him, everything I have is yours. To the Pharisees, these people who are following God through the religious requirements, their desire is to be close to God, but they've lost the plot. They've lost the point. And what Jesus is saying here is this, don't forget, you you have the kingdom. The kingdom is yours. Everything in the kingdom is yours. But then he says this in verse 32, we had, everybody say had, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Really, there are two lost sons in this story and the one that we probably need to look at more as people who are sitting in a church right now who likely have experienced a transformation or at least experienced the hope that can come from knowing Jesus. We have to look at the second son. Now, there might be some in this room who identify with that first son, and we're gonna talk about that in just a moment, but I I wanna challenge us. For those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we might need to really look at our own hearts and see if we don't reflect the second son more than the first. See, Jesus leaves his parable right here. Like, we don't know what happens with the older son. We don't know if he goes into the room or he doesn't because, again, this is almost like a real-time correlation to what's happening. So these Pharisees, we don't know how they're going to respond to what Jesus just taught. We don't know how they're going to uh, react. Did some of them go into that home or go into that place and begin to sit with these sinners? Did they walk away? We know that if we, we look at later in the New Testament, we know that in the book of Acts, we do see some Pharisees that have turned and been transformed and, and changed. Paul is one of them, right? Some of them rejected it and continued to walk away, continued to persecute the church. But some of them responded to this and they recognized, man, I've got it wrong. We don't know the choice of the older brother. We don't know how the Pharisees or the teachers responded to come in and celebrate. But here's what we do need to understand. Jesus is calling us to celebrate the lost being found. We need to celebrate when those who are lost are found. Jesus is inviting us to move from standing at the door to coming to the table. That's an important thing for us to remember, church. I wonder if, we've, if as we've spent this time together this morning, if some of us here have felt a lot like this older brother, like I mentioned. Maybe we look at our life in God's family as a duty. Maybe we grew up in a Christian home. And so everything we understand about God is just what we've been taught and what we've been told, but we don't really have a true, genuine, heartfelt relationship with God. We've, we've, we don't have the heart of the Father in us. We've just go about doing the things we think we are supposed to do to try to look religious, to try to sound religious. And God is calling us to something greater. Maybe we feel like we've done so much for him and yet we look around and we see those, uh, we see God bless those who are new in their faith more than it seems like he's blessing us. I gotta be honest with you, when I was younger in my faith, I I looked at sometimes those who came to a new saving faith in Christ and all the miracles that God began to do in their life. And I'm like, hey, I've been serving you for a long time and you haven't done miracles like that in my life. What about me? If you've ever said, what about me in your faith, raise your hand. No, I'm not gonna ask you to do that. But it's an easy temptation and I'll be the first, I'll, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I've done it. And I've had to process through that. I have to relearn and re-understand what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. 
God wants us to know that our service to the Father is not in vain, that we have all access to his kingdom as his children. Jesus reminds us that of the Father's heart when he says, everything I have is yours. Friends, if you, if you have a saving faith in Jesus and you are living with the Father, you have access to all that he has in his kingdom. And today you have the opportunity to respond, possibly by repenting, repenting of any attitude of jealousy or self-righteous thoughts that paint your life as better than those that Jesus is trying to seek and to save. We've all sinned. We've all, like sheep, gone astray. We are imperfect people growing toward being better. We're growing toward maturity. We're, we're trying to become more like Jesus. Yes, we're imperfect. We're gonna make mistakes. But our hope and our goal and our desire is to become more like Jesus that every day we get better at following him. So let's make sure our heart is right before God the Father. Because here's something I truly believe. And as we first started this whole series, I didn't know why uh, we were gonna end at this point, but I really feel like this is because of the last three weeks and just what's been put on my heart. And for those of you who've been here for the last three weeks, you're probably like the same story again, just told a different way. We get it. But I truly believe this. If we don't get this church, thrive, if we don't get this idea, Jesus won't bring more notorious sinners to our doors if we're not ready to celebrate their return. Let me say that again, because I think it's important for us to really let that settle in. Jesus, it, it, the Bible says the harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of people out there that still don't know Jesus, that still don't have a relationship with him. They might know about him, but they don't know him. And if we want to truly do the mission of Jesus, which is to help bring people to a saving faith in Jesus, to help, help them understand that there's hope and healing in a community of people like this, that we can accept each other, even with our mistakes, even with our flaws, even with our differences, we can understand that in Christ, God is transforming and changing each of us. And if we are not ready to celebrate the loss that Jesus wants to bring into this space, and to fellowship with this group of people, we won't get to see that happen. If we're not ready to celebrate, he's not gonna bring them to our doors. And that's the point of what we're doing here. It's not to come and punch our card and say, hey, I had a great Sunday with all of my friends that I, oh man, I don't really know them, but we sit across from each other or I know a few faces and a few names, but man, God wants us to be in loving community so that we can see where people are hurting and we can see that when the lost come and they're questioning and they're desiring to know the truth, we are ready to celebrate when they cross over from death to life. I'm, I'm, this is something that God has been just firing me up about. This is like something we're gonna, I'm gonna keep hitting after this because this is so important for us. There are too many churches that are comfortable just doing the church thing and not comfortable seeing the lost be found. I'm tired of just doing like the church thing. And maybe some of you are there too. I want us to have a, a community of people that are hungry to see the lost be found. We want to throw the celebration of a lifetime every time someone says yes to Jesus, yes to a new life in him. So let's be ready. Let's get our hearts ready. Let's search anything in us, God, and search out if there's any hypocritical, if there's any lying idea in our hearts, search us, God, and know us and help us root out anything that would keep us from celebrating those who are hurting, those who are lost. 
but those who are coming, who've come to their senses and are now coming back to the Father. Let's be ready to celebrate them. Friends, will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in Christ. I ask for you to reveal any hard-heartedness in us. I ask that you reveal any negative attitudes we may have toward those who are calling Uh, who are calling themselves part of your family. Help us to have a heart of celebration and joy, even when the lost or son returns. God, may may we celebrate your church and celebrate the dead coming to life, the lost being found. And Father, we ask right now, we ask that you would help us to turn away from that way of thinking that that somehow we are better than or somehow we've figured something out. God, we are simply saved by your grace. And so Father, we ask right now, we come to you in a, a heart of repentance, a heart attitude of just saying, God, we've messed up. If there's anything in us that that pushes away from those who are lost and those who might be detestable to us, God, may our hearts soften toward them. Restore us in the joy of our own salvation so that we remember what we've been saved from. That when we came to our senses, we came back and you welcomed us in. Father, we pray all of this as your church, that you would transform us in Jesus' name. As we continue in a heart of prayer, I just wonder if there's someone listening today that can identify as the younger son. You've been living your life and doing what seemed right in your eyes and it's led you to dark places. Maybe today you feel like you have hit rock bottom or that you are at the end of your rope and you sense Holy Spirit calling you back home. It doesn't take much for you to turn your heart toward home. Simply this, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's like a beacon drawing you into his presence. So if you're ready to come home today, will you repeat this very simple confession that we call prayer after me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so that I can know you, serve you, and follow you the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We don't have a worship song to close, but I I want us to close with a thought toward worshiping God in in another unique way. Sometimes we don't think of worship this way. But I wanna take a moment have us consider that our worship through our giving is powerful. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Remember how I said before that this parable kind of kept upping the ante? One out of a hundred, one out of 10, one out of two, God gave one out of one. That's how much he loves you and I. And we represent and we show God's love that we are growing in his love, when, that we are more like him when we give. Not just financially, but when we give, when we have a heart that gives. But finances are a great way for us to demonstrate in a very tangible way, God, I trust you and I believe that you will meet all of my needs according to your riches, your glory in Christ. I am trusting you. And so I'm gonna give this first 10% to you because I believe that you're gonna do more with the 90 than I can do with 100. And I'm gonna give this extra offering to you as you allow me and as you, as you move me to, to help the mission of God move forward across the street and around the world. And so when we give, what we do is we represent this giving heart of God. What it does is it actually 
makes us like the father who was so generous in giving to the lost who were found. And when, when the community sees that we are a giving church, that we give back to our community, that we do things for our community, that when people come here and they're searching and they're hungry, we have resources to help them. When they see that, then they know God loves me too. And so I just wanna say thank you so much to those who faithfully give and to those of you who are here who are like, man, I give as best I can, I give when I can. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. It's, it's kind of like a step, you know, like for me, it started like I gave when I could and then I became consistent in my giving and then I started giving proportionally like, okay, 10%. And now Megan and I, we really just try to be generous givers. Sometimes we have to go back to the proportional giving. <laughs> Sometimes things hit us that we didn't expect, right? But the moment we can go back to being outrageously generous, just like the father, we try to do that as best we can. We don't always hit the mark. But I wanna encourage you, if you've never taken the step of trusting God with your finances, today might be a great day to just say, hey man, God, I just sense that you're asking me to do something here. Maybe it'll soften my heart to the lost. Because this church is about saving the lost. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We thank you that you, you entrust us with this amazing facility. You trust us with this location in this town. God, we're so strategically located. So Lord, help us to be a, a place where those who are hurting and, and hopeless come to find hope and healing. And God, help us to move beyond the four walls of this church, beyond this, this property. Help us to move into our communities across the street. Help us to find ways to serve in this community, to love the broken and the hurting in this community, to support those uh, that are in our lives around us, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, God. May we be a church that is known for our generosity of compassion and kindness. And God, as we give to our missionaries who serve faithfully around the world, may you multiply what they're able to do with what is given, God, that it would go further than they imagined, that it would go further than their budgets even, even uh, assumed. God, we pray that you would just blow open the doors of opportunity for those missionaries, that more lost would be found, and that because we are giving faithful to that, we get to be a part of that story. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We worship you today by giving to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Hey, thanks again for joining us for Thrive Online this week. For more information about our church, go to thrivesquim.com and fill out a connection card. I hope you have a great rest of your week and we will see you next week, either in person or right here on the Thrive Online Podcast. <laughs>